Hey fam, welcome to Big Brother and the Hodling Company, a podcast about music and Web3 and trying to fend off Big Brother. I'm a Keegan Voice. Today I spoke with Benjamin James, who is a journalist and builder focused on the on-chain music space. James is the founder of Ziggy Ziggy, a music brand that celebrates on-chain music culture, named after one Ziggy Stardust. He's also a writer for Billboard and a former artist and producer. We chatted about the incredible highs and lows of his music journey, about getting his eyes open to a flawed music industry, and finding hope in on-chain music culture and technology. Hope you all enjoyed the conversation. Here we go. Hey, Ben, it's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, yeah, as always, you know, to start these things, I always like to start at the beginning and just get a sense of who you are, where you're from, and when your relationship with music began. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, my name is Ben. I'm Music Ben on Twitter. Um, I guess my relationship, I, I, like, music has been like a huge part of my life for as long as I can remember. Um, I guess going back, I was, uh, I was an artist, producer. I uh, ran a small record label up in the UK, uh, up in the, like in the north of the UK. Um, I owned a little studio up there, so we would just write and record music. Uh, it was kind of like the SoundCloud days. Um, so we would just, um, yeah, I had the studio and basically I, I ended up working with two vocalists who were absolutely incredible, like a brother and sister combination who had amazing, like just amazing singers. Um, so we would just put stuff out on SoundCloud, like every week we would just record stuff, put it out. Um, we would do remixes, like unofficial remixes of everybody on, on SoundCloud. We would do covers, we would put our own stuff out. Um, ended up like building a little fan base. Um, you know, and this was kind of like the hype machine era. Um, so we would just like figure out how blogs worked, um, like figure out how to get on the hype machine and like kind of run that system up. So yeah, that was, that's kind of like, I mean, I've been in music for like forever, but that was like mm-hmm. when it really kicked off and started becoming a thing. And I thought maybe, maybe this could be like my life, my career. Mm-hmm. At a certain point that kind of like that SoundCloud snowball uh, turned pretty big and we started getting like, we ended up basically doing a deal with Sony in the UK and distributing our music across UK and Europe, like going on tour, we licensed tracks to Ultra Records in the US. Um, so yeah, went through that whole thing and then eventually got uh, like dropped by a major label as well. So hmm. went through the, the whole big process. Yeah, I've been an artist, I've been a producer, I've been on the independent scene, I've been on the mm-hmm. big label side of things, and that kind of just laid the groundwork for everything that I think is happening now in, in Web3 and how I look at things from Web3 and why I think mm. it's so important for artists. Yeah, I'm curious first, just, just to contextualize that, what, what was the name in, you know, of the act and you know, approximately what years was this happening? Yeah, so uh, the band was called Mousy. Um, M-A-U-S-I, which was a weird German spelling. I like, I can't remember why we came up with it, but it was just <laughs> one of those things that you, you do not expecting anything and then uh, you just stick with it. Uh-huh. Um, I'm guessing, what was it like? Pretty much 10 years ago, I think, was when we first started putting stuff out. So, okay. I don't know, yeah, 2013. Um, then had like a run of like five years of that being like, my kind of full-time career, um, basically going from very small, just playing, you know, small venues. So, I mean, you'll know this based in the, in the UK, but it won't make mm-hmm. any sense to anyone else, but um, <laughs> small town called Newcastle in the North of England. Mm-hmm. So we just, you know, we would play small bars. We would like hire rent vans and tour across the UK. Um, and just, yeah, for five years, building and building and building and eventually turning into to something bigger. Mm. I guess what was the you know what was the feeling what was the sense when you were at you know your highest point when you were thinking about the future, and then if you if you could walk us forward like through, you know the emotional context of being dropped by a major label, and you know having to look, you know again at the music industry and kind of what, you know would be next for you guys. Yeah, so I mean it it really is like highs and lows that mm-hmm. you it's so hard to describe to to someone that hasn't kind of been through it but um yeah you'll have these insane high moments where you're 
like we would be we were on tour with like charlie xcx and in the uk mm. we were touring with years and years and rudimental um so you'd have these massive massive shows and then you'd be recording music in studios that you only ever like dreamed of mm. um and so there's there's those massive high moments uh and then there's the lows of <laughs> almost like the, the low part is realizing you're in a, a major label deal that you don't have very much control over uh, mm-hmm. and like i say this is you know the highs of when you're in your early 20s and you get offered a record deal you think that that's the pinnacle of what music is you know right, right. you think like that's kind of the goal uh, or at least it was back then uh, so there's the high of thinking you've achieved that and then there's the reality of uh, hmm. actually having to deal with them uh, this kind of giant major label system which like to be clear i have you know no like uh like i still think major labels are incredible if you need if you're the right sort of artist that needs huge distribution huge marketing mm-hmm. um huge reach into like television and radio and all of these massive things there's really nothing more powerful than, than a major label at the right point in your career mm-hmm. but when you're a very sort of uh independent early entrepreneurial kind of artist like we were um signing that deal and then being like not having a lot of control over like when you get to release your music uh, and like i said coming from you know we were in this this soundcloud culture where you would just like do a remix and then put it up the next day or you would record a track in the studio and the next day you'd put it on soundcloud again instant response and then all of a sudden it's like no we need three months to prepare for this next single and then we'll release it three months later and we need to do all this and it's just um it's an adjustment that we we hadn't been prepared for mm-hmm. uh, but still we we sort of adapted to it and you know we ended up doing we we signed a two single deal um and we did those two singles which we thought you know for which we thought <laughs> went really well they were being played on radio one and that's another one of those huge highs where like your music is being played on the radio um but yeah, at the end of that, um, at the end of those two singles, it was basically a case of the uh, the the label had to decide whether or not to do the album with us, right? Um, which we had read it, which you know we were very excited to do. Like as an you know as a as an artist, one of the your dreams is like putting together an, an album. And I know we live in like a singles world now, but I think I still think a lot of artists like want to put out this defining album. So we were For really, sure. it's you know it's ready to go. Um, and they just like sat on that decision for like a year. Wow. So it's just that we just couldn't, like, it wasn't that they, it wasn't that they effectively dropped us. It was just like, they just wouldn't make a decision. So then Hmm. you're just trapped in this like strange place where you you can't really, it's very hard to do anything because you can't take, you can't put that music out, but you Mm -hmm. can't take it to another label. So you're just stuck in this position where you're just waiting. Uh, So it was kind of. Yeah, it, it's like like we were saying, it's like the highs of this these amazing moments, and then the lows of the like. It's not low; it's just frustration, I think. Yeah, and just yeah. realizing that you don't own the music that that you thought that you that you were that you don't have can you don't have control and you don't have ownership of it. Right, which I think resonates probably with a lot of people in in Web three. Totally. Yeah, I think that's you know it feels like a relatively common tale for folks with whom Web three resonates. Yeah. Um, you know, is the lack of ownership and control, uh, you know, particularly. I'm curious, I mean, did, so what ended up happening? Did you just say goodbye to them? Like, we're not going to wait around any longer? Did you ever make the album on your own? Time? No, we, I think that's the weirdest thing. We never made the album. I think it still exists as like demos somewhere, but hmm. through that, that process just as an artist really grinds you down. Um, so we kind of just lost a lot of love for it and for the process. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We also ran out of money, which also like doesn't help. So, um, yeah, that kind of just it sort of just fizzled out, and we eventually, I think, we were we were able to get the ownership back of those tracks, apart from the two singles that we, you know, we still don't have any ownership over those. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did eventually like get the album back. But by which point, you know, you've lost momentum. You've like. Right which is just the most important thing for any artist is just like consistency momentum building and building and building um and then for that just to stop for a year and you don't put any music out it's very hard for a, an, 
I think you can get away with it when you're a superstar, but as an as a upcoming musician, right? That's where like momentum is what carries you. Yeah. So, yeah. We lost. Yeah. It was a combination of things. We we lost the momentum. We kind of lost the love for it, and we we ran out of money. So it's like let's figure out what's next instead. Fair. I, I'm curious if you've ever. If if you've considered revisiting the album within like this new you know this new Web three ecosystem, like have you spoken with your original two bandmates about any of this? Is that something that you know piques your interest at all? Yeah, it comes up sometimes. So and like the one of uh, one of the singers is still my co-founder at Siggy uh, mm. at the moment. So we're still really close, and we still make music together sometimes. But it's uh, now just. It's not just a lot more fun. So it's like, it's no longer our job. And our like, the only reason like you're doing anything is to, to live off it. It's now just enjoyment. So I don't know, we haven't actually talked about going back to those tracks. I think we just sort of forgot about them, but that might be interesting to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in listening to them. You'll have one listener at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll do it all one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, speaking of Web3, so you know, you're at this moment where uh, you kind of have to do some soul searching with your relationship with, I guess, probably your own music. I mean, obviously your own music, but also probably with the industry at large and just kind of reconsidering the way in which it works and its inner machinations. Um, what, what was the bridge from there to, you know, intrigue with Web3? Yeah. So I think one of the things is when I was originally making music and releasing music, it felt like there was a really clear path to how you could like, not necessarily break an artist, but how you could almost, how you could be sustainable as a musician. Like you could, the path was, you know, you put music out on SoundCloud, you could find the right blogs to cover you, you could build a fan base through early versions of social media. Um, you could tour or kind of profitably, at least in the UK. Um, and it felt like there was a clear path to being sustainable as a musician. Sort of five years later, when we were like rethinking like what we were going to do, like we've been dropped by a label and mm -hmm. there no longer seemed to be that obvious, that same obvious path. It was kind of like Spotify was really dominant in terms mm -hmm. of like editorial playlists and like algorithmic playlists. It's a lot harder to figure out how you break that. And then, you know, TikTok and Instagram were sort of becoming the main musical forces and couldn't really figure out the way to break through that either. And I still speak to people in the music industry now that are like, we don't know how a song breaks on TikTok, like something you just get sort of lucky. Mm -hmm. So I think for a good few years, I was always looking to be like, what's the path back into music? But I couldn't, I couldn't see it. Until Web3 kind of came, and I've been working in and out of crypto for the last four years, so I sort of had my eye on it. But when I saw music breaking through, like, uh, you know, like Catalog and then Sound XYZ becoming more of a thing, I started to see a sort of a pathway again, where it's like you can have this very small community of fans that build around you from a very early stage mm -hmm. um, that I think had been kind of lost for like the last five years. So mm -hmm. um, that was the really intriguing thing for me was, was finally seeing small, like a small culture growing around independent music again, that felt very like SoundCloud era, mm -hmm. um, where artists are just like collaborating with each other. They're remixing things, they're putting it out overnight. Obviously they're making money as well. Like the money thing is all like kind of a huge thing as well. Right. Um, but it was more this like scene culture that was developing. And I was like, I've seen this before. And I understand where that goes. And I understand how exciting that is for musical trends generally. So that was what really pulled me down deeper into the rabbit hole of, of Web3. Right. No, I agree. I mean, I think that is a really exciting component of what is being, you know, being built for the first time to have this sort of proof of identity that you can really rally a community around, I think is, you know, feels reminiscent to like a SoundCloud era, but like has this sort of additional element to it of like provenance, like this sort of cross platform, you know, capabilities, which is really interesting. Yeah. I think the, the provenance part is actually 
it gets talked about so much on the art side of nfts but i, th I think it's also massive for music that has just mm -hmm. not been explored there's never like the issue of provenance has always been an important part of art culture generally like where the paintings and where the artist originated from that has never really existed in music but all of a sudden you can like you can mark exactly when something was minted on chain what moment it captures and what moment the fans came in mm -hmm. and were a part of that so it's like it really is for the first time who was there at the very beginning of your journey and again i just completely I, I think back to comparisons of the early soundcloud days and you know i remember you know lord putting royal on soundcloud like not mm. the moment it happened but i remember it being there pretty early and i remember the weekend doing his like completely anonymous first three um mixtapes and those are like incredibly important parts of music culture that will probably just disappear mm -hmm. once like data centers get updated and stuff and it's really boring stuff like that but <laughs> had that been minted on ethereum that would exist forever and the first people that maybe could have collected that like weekend mixtape is like i feel like that's kind of crazy and it's it's not financial based at all it's just I really think of NFTs more like I'm more and more starting to think of it of like I was there or you know an event but like NFTs are like marking an event based thing I think mm -hmm. still kind of figuring that out but that's what's kind of really magical for me that hasn't been done with music before yeah I agree um it's I mean it feels like a cultural artifact and like uh you know this ability to to archive music you know in a really novel way um that really hasn't existed on the internet before and is always at risk as you said like you know updating data centers or or whatever a platform just kind of disappearing from the internet and taking you know all of its information with it it it, it almost feels like uh i was having a conversation with somebody the other day around like it's it's almost like we're we're able to treat music more as as like merchandise to a certain extent because to your point it's like you know proof that you were there for an important cultural moment like i don't know going back and like you were you were at the show where madonna you know sold her first you know whatever t-shirt and you still have that and you wear that um and and that's not really about the money either a t-shirt is probably worth a lot of money but it's more uh, it's more of a commentary on like your identity and your presence uh, you know, in a certain place, and 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 there's been like this really interesting tension between you know, especially within Web three, um, with like you know the, the financialization that is inherent to crypto and that being applied to music. And I'm 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 curious to get your thoughts like that that sort of tension between those two things and where that lies and how we can better promote. Things like you know how how we can better promote on chain music as as this cultural artifact as this like proof of being there instead of like really over indexing on the financialization which I see you know as part of the narrative. Yeah, it's a really huge thing. I, I think one of the reasons for it is because often we we spend so much time arguing about like what is an NFT, mm. and the fact is like an NFT is literally just you know a wrapper. It can be anything that you want so it can just be this sort of it can be this small memento of a particular moment in time that means something to it means you know a lot to one person but maybe not to somebody else or it can be tokenizing a song in a very scarce um edition format that has the potential to to rise in value and it's it's that and it's everything in between so it's it which is where I think it, like so many, so much of the like clash comes because some people are like, some people think that it's you know it's an investment format that I can be early to this track that might be very that might be huge in the future that I know I might make some money for it and for somebody else it's just like I just want to collect this cool thing mm -hmm. and I think all of those worlds will exist. Part of me is excited about the financialization aspect because music has never had that music has always been the value of music has always been capped um, mm -hmm. you know by spotify at 9.99 a month or right, at right. 99 cents a song by apple or like the production cost of a cd like all of the music has always been like productized and then market like priced for mass consumption so mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I am excited about the financial aspect because for, for the first time ever, it can be like, let's take the cap off that. And maybe this song is worth like $10,000 to a certain person mm-hmm. or to a small, to, to a certain group of collectors, especially if I'm there early enough to understand that cultural relevance of that moment. So I'm, I'm not averse to the financial, financial aspect of it, but it is dangerous if that's the only, uh, if that's the only narrative in music. Right. So I think that's, yeah, part of me is excited because it does unlock this whole new thing that's never, that's never existed before, um, mm-hmm. where it does allow us to maybe figure out what the real value of music is, because it's different to different people yeah. based on different tracks and different emotions. But I don't think that scales to like a mainstream audience, like your average music fan, I don't think. But and I, and I also think it might be a bit like detrimental to the to the artist if they're constantly thinking of their music as an investment and right. whether they should be appeasing their collectors as investors or whether they should just making good music, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of like it if I think about it like artwork, where the, the vast majority of collectors like collect a piece of artwork because they they love it, but maybe there's a certain part of them that thinks this could be more culturally relevant, more important, more valuable in the future. So I like it thinking of it more like art than thinking of it like buying a stock in Facebook or something, right? Where mm-hmm. that's a very obvious like financial, I'm only buying Facebook stock because I think it will be worth more in the future. Right. But with art, it's like I'm buying the art because I love it and I want to put it on my wall and it means something to me and it tells the world about something about me. It's like my identity and it can be more valuable in the future. So that's the sweet spot where I think music NFTs could work, mm-hmm. but it can't be like, it can't be like I'm buying this because I'm investing purely in the artist. Like, I think that's just a bit too much of a narrative that won't work. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, that's kind of a long-winded answer. <laughs> no, no worries. I mean, it's, it's. T- I mean, if we had the answer to that, you know, we'd we'd, we'd be able to solve a lot of issues. True. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I agree, and it, it's it sort of feels like there's like a very subtle difference, sort of at the individual level, of like what is your intention. It's it's because like there is a financial element to like most of the things that we purchase like even even thinking you know about art is like like when i buy a piece of art i'm not thinking primarily about what is the return going to be on this in like 30 years yeah but it's like it's at the periphery it's like this this is a piece of art it's there's only one of these and it could accrue value over time but i'm getting it for to hang on my wall and like yeah when people come into the, the door they connect me with this thing um so I guess it, it it's 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 sort of like you know it's really difficult to to look at that behavior and 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 understand how to cultivate it because it is really subtle and it is very nuanced. I mean I totally agree with you in terms of like it doesn't make any sense for Spotify for instance to cap what people are willing to spend on music or treat all behavior as you know the exact same value. You know, if you spend 1 hour on Spotify per month you pay the same as if you spend 3000 hours you know yeah on on spotify i mean I, I i see a lot of opportunity for more like more like experimental music um which doesn't necessarily cater to a mainstream audience and therefore doesn't really doesn't really work on places like spotify mm-hmm. but attracts like niche audiences in which these people might might value this a lot more than that you know kind of average 9.99 a month of rate you know yeah i've i've often thought that maybe the maybe the sort of break not the breakout but maybe the most successful artists in nfts would be more experimental or on the kind of like like i don't think it'll be a mainstream artist like i, I would always see it more of like a like a fortet or like mm-hmm. an early fortet before, you know, he's playing Coachella. Mm-hmm. But where you have this diehard group of like true music geeks that will spend money on like expensive vinyl and will like, you know, spend a lot of money on 
like high end um hardware to listen to it like i kind of feel like that's maybe where you would get somebody who's like this this music is what is should be valued at a certain level more than you know this artist is going to break the billboard chart so let's buy an nft because i think it'll be worth more i kind of mm-hmm. i kind of see that's where the artistic value could be in in music so an artist you know an artist that is more experimental wouldn't run up like millions and millions of streams on spotify but mm-hmm. a small group of people might value that really highly as like incredible experimental artwork or you know i know there's loads of examples um of artists like that yeah i mean given that i mean i you know i agree with you and i'm i guess given that what do you think the roles are of like the major legacy you know platforms the major labels and this is something you that you write about quite a bit is like you know for instance the the attempts that spotify has made to uh, explore web3 to bridge into web3 um by working with these really you know really big web3 sort of brands that aren't aren't really reflective of of like this I keep calling it like a sublime weirdness of Web3 music culture. <laughs> that's, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> um, and, and I'm curious, like, given, like, is there a bridge that can be compatible for a place like Spotify to work their way into this culture? Or is it always going to feel extractive? No, I think there's uh, like a really good way that they could do it, actually. If they thought of NFTs as, like capturing moments in time or capturing early audience or early fans, then the best way that Spotify could be involved in Web3 is to uh, like not think of it financially at all, like point blank, like not selling NFTs, not trading NFTs, Mm -hmm. but just giving listeners like what I would call like a fan badge, an NFT fan badge. If you're, you know, that at the end of every year, Spotify has its like Spotify wrapped Mm -hmm. uh, feature. And if you're, you know, the top 0.1% of listeners of a particular artist, you should get a particular NFT reward or a fan badge to say that, you know, you are one of the biggest listeners. Uh, and it can be as simple as that, just a li- like literally just a, a badge that people can, dis- can display. Um, or maybe if you are one of the first 50,000 listeners of a new track, Mm-hmm. You get a you're an NFT you get an NFT badge that just like you know confirms that you were there early and one of the early listeners and then mm-hmm. that doesn't have to be financialized people would put that all over their Instagram people would put that like everywhere like the amount mm-hmm. of how much people share their Spotify rap at the end of the year that's mm-hmm. like not even base it, it's that's just a Web two marketing gimmick but imagine if right. you actually had something that you could that you felt like you had ownership of, uh, I feel like that would be really, really powerful. And then in the future, that can unlock rewards. If Spotify ever allowed themselves to open up and be a bit more permissionless, you know, mm-hmm. if you're in the top 0.1% of Fortet's listeners, maybe you can get access to a token gated exclusive content or something. And, and this is like the whole, I'm still not convinced that like, utility like in that kind of way is, is valuable but for spotify that kind of makes sense rather than selling nfts yeah so yeah i would encourage them to think of it just like as yeah capturing moments in time rewarding early listenership um and not just trying to jump on board with big nft projects i think i think that's i think that's never been a, a winning strategy for nfts full stop mm-hmm. yeah agreed that's a really good use case for them. And and also has like potential ramifications for the artists as well, who gain this like new visibility into who who's actually on the other side in Spotify rather than just seeing like, oh, I have eight thousand monthly listeners. Whatever yeah, that exactly. means. <laughs> yeah, I mean I it, I I know that that's a a dream world scenario, like imagining mm-hmm. that Spotify would give artists that much control and, and insight mm-hmm. but i just think that's that's something that would be that would be cool yeah agreed agreed here's hoping 
And I just want to take a step back into your, you know, you mentioned earlier that you uh, have been in crypto for, you know, for about four years at this point. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about uh, what you've done in, in your experience, you know, over these past, you know, few years. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, it was kind of at the, at the tail end of when I was doing music, just sort of looking for other ways to kind of sustain myself really. Um, and ended up just falling into freelance writing, which is just as well as doing music, I've been writing my whole life. Mm. Um, that just seems like an easy thing to, to try and do at the same time. Um, eventually fell into writing for crypto companies. Uh, so I kind of worked with one of the early like block explorers, which was like how you would track Bitcoin transactions in 2018. Um, we would do some early like research and put out things there. Um, ended up writing, uh, ghostwriting two Bitcoin books. Uh, cool. So there were a couple of books on Amazon about Bitcoin that I wrote uh, <laughs> under like, nice. different people's names. So just kind of um, bouncing around different projects, learning as much as I can. Uh, yeah, very, very like Bitcoin centric, which still, still is one of the most important things i think has ever been invented and <laughs> still still makes me skeptical of so much of the the crypto world mm. is how powerful and how important just singular just how important bitcoin is mm. but yeah i just ended up bouncing back and forth doing doing all sorts of things and then when music nfts clearly were going to become a thing and uh, like i kind of i think that's probably like 2021 and I discovered catalog and kind of got lost in everything that was going on at catalog. Mm -hmm. I basically just dropped everything because I was like, this is taps into music. That was my life for so long. And it mm -hmm. taps into crypto that I've been involved in. And I was like, this has to be, it's kind of like too perfect. So I just dropped everything and figured out how I could try and be valuable to the space and try and like figure out a way in, I guess. Cool. For the last bit, you've been running Ziggy Ziggy Music, and I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about, you know, what that project is, how it started, what the vision is. It kind of came in up. It kind of came around of me trying to figure out what, like, what I really wanted to do in the Web three music space, mm -hmm. um, and it kind of seemed to me like the thing that was missing um, was a uh, a brand or maybe media, but it was something that was, it was missing, um, something that focused on artists and artist stories and the culture around music, everything around the web three music space is very based on like data or sales or like tech platforms or strategies or, you know, all of these things, which are amazing because mm -hmm. we're just, we're still figuring out what this world is and, you know, having conversations around that, which is great, but I kind of thought this is not going to appeal to um, other people unless we're like telling artist stories. So it's kind of like, where is the, where is the pitchfork of Web3? Or like, where is the, you know, like the cool brand, like uh, that the, the showcases what artists are doing. Um, right. And this is like, this was, I was completely, um, like I was doing it as well. And I remember it was, I wrote an article for billboard and at one point the editor left me a, a note and they were like, I can't remember who I was writing about. Um, but it was like a thousand word story and mm -hmm. the editor left me a note. It was like, what kind of music do they make? Mm. Like I realized I'd written an entire, you know, story about web three and artists mm. and I like hadn't mentioned the music and I was like, that's insane. Yeah. Um, so I know that it's like, I've done it as well. I'm guilty of it. We focus so much on the technology side and the sales side in this new world, but it's like the thing that I'm most excited about is this whole culture that's developing this like collaborative culture, these like collectives that are coming up. And that's the side that I think will resonate with people more in the future. Uh, so yeah, it's easy. It was basically started as a brand to focus completely on the artist story so mm -hmm. launched it in january um like really simply just i thought oh, what i'll do is just find the best like music nft of the day 
um, I'll make a little video and put it out on Twitter. Um, so every day we post, um, yeah, our favorite music that we found on Web3. We link to the, the Mint site. And then over time, it's sort of developed and we'll now post, um, you know, anything cool that's happening around the artists in Web3. So we're eventually becoming a platform or a, a place to just boost what's happening um, with Web3 music artists um, mm -hmm. to really like shine a light on the entire culture that's happening. Mm -hmm. rather than doing, you know we don't post stuff about sales really at least not on twitter we don't post anything about sales or tech or anything like that it's just like what cool stuff are the artists in this scene doing because i mean i always just look back and every big music trend came out of kind of a an independent scene of passionate artists doing cool stuff mm -hmm. i was like that's kind of what i see happening here so let's document that side of it right. um, so yeah, that's kind of where it came out of, and it, it's sort of growing. I'm not really sure where yet. I'm literally like building it, I guess, in public, figuring it out as I go along. Yeah. No, cool. I I think that's a really really important initiative and a really important vision. Really really important vision. I, I I've I've sort of had that frustration quite a few times in Web three music of just reading something and it was like why, like literally nothing is about the music. I have no idea what what is happening you know sonically and uh, you, you know as a music journalist who like uh you know was covering scenes for a long time it was rooted like entirely around the music the style of music and the people that gathered around it, it didn't really make any sense to me but now I, I, it's, it's sort of almost it feels like sometimes that web3 kind of is the genre like it's it's the connective thread between all of these different types of musicians to what brings them together into like Twitter spaces and telegram groups. Um, and it's sort of like transcended the idea of like what a genre is. I'm curious, if, you know, your thoughts, if you've, I don't know, had thoughts like that before. A hundred percent. And uh, I so often see people saying like web three is the, the tools or web three is just like platform. And it's like, I actually think it's, I do think it's more than that. I think mm. in the same way that like crypto art is, is its own movement, its own culture mm. um, that is separate from traditional art galleries that's separate from anything else that's happening. And I do think the same thing is starting to happen in music and you've got this culture of, you know, there's artists like Violetta Zeroni and like Sami Ariaga that just spend their entire lives on, um, Twitter spaces and building community. And even though they're like distinct in terms of genre, that is a, that's a movement that I've never seen before in, in music. And I think that's, mm -hmm. that's a culture that is like nascent to this space and this space only. And like, mm -hmm. you know, Violetta doesn't have any music on Spotify now. She's purely like a web three musician. And that isn't just a tool that that is culture. Um, yeah. And then I see the same thing, you know, you've got Daniel, Daniel Allen and, Rio Cragen permitting themselves to Web3 and the sound that they're making in the collective, they wouldn't have come together if it wasn't for Web3. So right. that's a culture that is born from this technology. So yeah, I think a lot of people just think of it as a tool, which it, like it is, but tools create scenes in the same way that SoundCloud created an entire culture of music. Right. And I think this, a similar thing is starting to happen now. Right. It'll be interesting to see, like, um, as the space matures and hopefully, you know, grows, if something similar to like what what happened with SoundCloud does happen, because SoundCloud did have some early scenes that happened to be with in specific genres, and then like everybody was using SoundCloud, so then it wasn't a scene connected by SoundCloud; it was just another platform to put your know, music on, and it was made distinct, or you were then able to uh, differentiate by more traditional genre types. Do you think that'll happen in this space as well? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, yeah so, so what seems to happen to, in, in my eyes is that small scenes develop in certain places like SoundCloud uh, or you know wherever. That becomes such a big cultural force that the music industry at large takes notes of it, mm -hmm. amplifies it, and then it becomes a huge thing. And then that's where that's where they take kind of all of their cues from. 
So it's like it, that happened on SoundCloud and then that became such a big culture that the music industry grabbed it and amplified it and made it this big thing. Right. And it happened, uh, like there was a certain point when I was coming up where Shazam was this huge thing and all of the metrics, you know, for the music industry relied on how many people were Shazamming, which essentially meant like how many people were playing it in clubs and hearing it, you mm -hmm. know, wherever. And it's like, then the music industry spotlight moved to that and that's what, like built up the next group of artists and now the like the spotlight is kind of like on TikTok. So new artists are emerging on TikTok and those trends. And the legacy music industry sees that and amplifies it and makes it bigger. And I think eventually there'll be such a like kind of groundswell of exciting culture happening in Web3 mm -hmm. that that's where the music industry will then shift because we'll start having artists that break out like maybe Violetta, who's like, I'm not putting music on Spotify. Um, mm -hmm. So you can only get it in Web3. So then all the culture revolves, like gets really close around that. More and more artists start coming in more like, and then the metrics become the, you know, the legacy music industry will start looking at be like, well, how many community members have you got? How many mints did you get on the last song? And then these things become more and more relevant and be bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. And then like, there'll be something else, but I don't really see what, what else there is there's a, there's always a new tech development where a new scene of music kind of blossoms and then gets picked mm -hmm. up on and i don't know what else that is apart from web3 the i mean like the only other thing is like is ai right but i see that as more like a creative tool i don't see that like becoming like a scene if that makes sense yeah yeah i agree um it does seem to be the the bit that has the most potential, I guess. And, and, you know, it, it also, I think like a lot of, you know, tech driven movements, there's, there's a lot of promise and a lot of potential to disrupt this, this really, you know, huge paradigm that, that is the music industry that has really been able to sort of trample every type of tech and just make it work in, in its own image, you know? Uh, and, and I guess that's my concern is, as well, you know, com coming back to that culture that like, you know, sublime weirdness of web three, like part of the magic it is, is, is just like people showing up and like being in these very intimate settings. Um, but you know, there are a couple of things happening like with open editions and, uh, you know, like a slow embrace of some of the same, you know, sort of metrics that are being used in web two. And I guess I have concern that it, are we entering another race to the bottom, which is going to like, maybe people will enter this space, but are we going to have the same issues and like this huge bottleneck at the point of discovery and like just way too much music that you need to control it with some type of an algorithm. And it's just, we end up creating basically the same thing. I mean, that's my concern. Yeah. I'm curious if that's, you share it. Yeah, I do worry about the same kind of thing. And I think it's, it's worth taking a step back and like figuring out what this technology should be used for or can be used for that's different to what exists. Like while I'm excited that it's like a new version of SoundCloud culture, mm -hmm. if we just recreate SoundCloud on a blockchain, that's like, that doesn't help that right. we haven't moved the needle forward. Right. Um, I still think like the thing that like to me, that blockchain actually really does unlock is digital scarcity, whether we mm. kind of like that or not, that's, that's a true like naught to one innovation that we haven't had before. Mm. And so if the model becomes open editions at very low prices, mm -hmm. part of me just thinks I'm not sure what that's achieved. Right. Um, whereas the ability to be able to have limited edition drops, we've never done that around music. It's always been like, streetwear has had that or right. artwork has had that but music has always been like infinite and abundant you know mm. whether it's on the radio you always it's just it just comes to you or spotify it's just infinite music mm -hmm. to suddenly be able to say there are only a hundred collector's editions of this digitally that that has never existed before so i do think that the the breakout kind of model is will maybe be around scarcity mm -hmm. and then the other kind of breakthrough is 
the relationship that it creates that we've that you've never had between fans before and i i'm still a little bit skeptical of that because it just seems like a buzzword to say like <laughs> deep fan relationship and it's right. like what does that what does that mean mm-hmm. but at least at this point in time being able to have like a close close telegram group with artists that you like or getting special access to something is something that hasn't existed before so i think it's I'm, I'm I'm always excited for, for people experimenting and trying new things because we don't know what the future of this looks like. Mm-hmm. But I do think I'm trying to like tap into the the two or three things that blockchain actually really does unlock that hasn't existed before. And I think we should kind of focus there. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. Like if we, if it just becomes like, how many mints do you get? Mm-hmm. That's just the stage. That's the same as like that's just how many streams have you got? Streams, it's just a yeah. different. It's a different. It's the same metric. It's just a different word. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good point to end there. This is major. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, it's just impossible to predict, right? Like I, I couldn't tell you three months ago what the music NFT space would look like mm-hmm. now. So trying to like predict is so hard. Yeah, things change very quickly in this in this space, which is exciting and tough to keep up with. But there are some exciting things happening and interesting experiments being done. You know, like you mentioned, Violetta, and like sort of circling back to what you know how we started the conversation, taking more control and more ownership over our music. You know, and that being enabled by this technology in a slightly different way than it has existed in the past, which is exciting. Yeah, I do I, I do think she's a standout kind of example because she's truly existing without Spotify, without legacy. I mean, she's the kind of true example of like a thousand true fans or whatever. And right. She's done that through her editions are very scarce. Like she doesn't have any open editions as far as I know. It's like her original collection, a secondary collection, and then a very few songs may be released through sound but it is like this is the collection how do i add value to the people that own that collection and so it's kind of taking care of this small community of a thousand people rather than trying to reach a million or two million three million people so that's really disruptive to me that's like Mm -hmm. completely different and it's it's a it's also a really hard decision for an artist to make because a lot of artists just like, I want to reach a lot of people. I want to play main stage classically. I want to be like, you know, you want to reach a lot of people. So the decision to be like, no, nope, we're going to have scarce editions. I'm going to take care of this community that really supports me and loves the music. That's a really like bold, uh, disruptive decision to make in the music industry. I think so. That's, I think she's really cool. I mean, it also makes, makes a lot of sense when you, when you think of just, you know, like human communities, like, thinking hyper-locally, even though we're using like, you know, global technology, but when you think about like true, true bonds, uh, you know, they require time and attention and you can't give that to 3 million people, you know? So if, if you can create that really tight knit community and think more locally, I mean, it, it makes sense. You know, I've, I've, I've always thought like the thousand true fans theory or whatever, it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense. It's just the platforms that are designed to, to you know, to ostensibly help artists get there are are aren't really built around that. You know, no, I, that's. I mean, all tech companies usually are built around the idea of scale, right? For because of the incentives of investors and whatever mm-hmm. else. So you always need more users, more, more metrics. Yeah. So. It's very hard for a platform to, to, to help you build those 1,000 true fans because you're effectively capping what the audience is. So it's a really tricky kind of balance to strike. It is. Yeah, it's sort of, it seems like it might take a platform to, to you know, exit uh, the, you know, like the VC machine, uh, you know, yeah. in the same way that Violetta is, you know, exiting this in this yeah. you know the streaming paradigm and it's you just have to take yourself out of the hamster wheel um in order to build a new wheel i don't know <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> yeah it's true yeah. um 
but yeah, again, let's see. Uh, <laughs> let's see what happens. I just have one more question for you that I ask everyone at the end of the show. This is unrelated to this, but um, you're going to, to Desert Island. You get to bring three albums with you. What are they? Oh, man, that's such a good question. <laughs> okay, I need to think about this. <laughs> and I put you on the spot. Uh, um, probably taking In Rainbows. Nice, good choice. Yeah. Um, I'm probably taking, there's an album called Felt by Niels Fromm. I love that album. It's just piano music, but, um, it's like he, he put like layers of felt inside his piano to soften, to dampen the keys, um, so that he didn't disturb his neighbors. But the, the, the album is just the most beautiful, incredible album so i feel like if i'm on a desert island i might need some just calm music so yeah I'd do that a one. bit of tenderness yeah <laughs> um and i'd probably i'd i mean i'd take a david bowie album i'm just trying to think which one i would take probably ziggy starts <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense yeah, it's it thematic. Ziggy, but yeah so i think those three. Oh, nice. I approve of those three. Great, great choices. I, I would be very happy on an island with those, with those three records. <laughs> awesome. Ben, really enjoyed our conversation. Now, for those listening who are interested in getting involved or following along with, with what you do, what's the best place for them to do that? Uh, just on Twitter. So I'm uh, at musicben underscore ETH on Twitter or um, at Ziggy Ziggy Music. Uh, either of those two, you can find me. My DMs are open. So works cool all right go check out the work that he's doing um awesome man well thanks again for being here i really enjoyed it and uh you know be well yeah thanks so much for inviting me it's been great absolutely all right that's it for this episode of big brother and the hodling company i'm your host mckeegan voice and you can keep up with me and all the latest web3 music trends on twitter at mckeegan that's m-a-c-e-a-g-o-n this show is a production of Decentral Media. And you can visit us at decentral.io and remember, only you can prevent and fend off. Big Brother. <laughs>